Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Today we are here at EDS at Union with uh, Reverend Fred Davies, who is the Executive Vice President here at Union, as well as the Chair of the CCRB, which is the Civilian uh, Complaint Review Board uh, for the New York City Police. We are here today at uh, the day which marks the fifth anniversary of the murder of Eric Gardner. And so while that brings us to this conversation, what makes this conversation even more poignant is that on the eve of this anniversary, yesterday, the Department of Justice, under the leadership, of course, of Attorney General William Barr, put out uh, the statement that, of course, they would not be pursuing uh, further prosecution of uh, the police officers involved, in fact, in the death of Eric Garner. And so, Fred, as you wear the hat of both the executive vice president of Union as well as the head of the CCRB, I wanted to get your response to that. Sure, sure. And before you do, tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the CCRB. Sure, I will. First, let me say um, thank you for this conversation, um, and I really appreciate the leadership of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union, and your leadership in particular as its dean, uh, both on issues of scholarship and issues of faith and issues of social justice. So thank you for, for doing this. Let me also just say that uh, I am, uh, my heart goes out to the Garner family, uh, to his mom, uh, Mrs. Carr, uh, his daughter, and everyone else who's had to endure uh, this five-year process uh, following, the, uh, following the unfortunate and tragic death of, uh, of, of Eric Garner. Um, the CCRB uh, was established in its current form uh, in 1993 um, to uh, both receive complaints, invest investigate complaints, adjudicate complaints, and recommend uh, discipline for police officers who um, engage in, um, in, in behaviors unbecoming that violate the patrol guide when engaging with citizens uh, in this city, and particularly civilians in this city. Um, the, there are four areas uh, over which the CCRB has jurisdiction. Uh, excessive force, abuse of authority, discourtesy, and offensive language. Um, and we have fairly uh, uh, significant discretion within those four categories. Um, to, uh, to pursue complaints that have been lodged against New York City police officers. In the case of the Eric Garner uh, uh, complaint, um, the complaint was for excessive force uh, that, that led to his demise. Um, the uh, CCRB uh, in 2013 was given the uh, responsibility of jurisdiction to prosecute uh, in an administrative trial, the most serious charges brought against New York City police officers when it 
comes to those four categories that I just listed. Um, so in this case, the, the board of the CCRB, which is made up of 13 members, all appointed by the mayor, but five designated by the city council, three designated by the police commissioner, and then five designated as mayoral appointees, that board voted to bring uh, the most serious charges that we can bring against Officer Pantaleo uh, for the use of excessive force in the death of Eric Garner. And in, in, in um, voting for those charges, we then uh, are, are uh, given the responsibility to prosecute the case uh, before an administrative trial judge um, at the police department. Um, and then that trial judge, uh, after hearing our prosecution and the defense, makes a decision that's recommended to the police commissioner, uh, and then the police commissioner acts on that decision. Uh, the commissioner can either accept it, reject it, or modify it. And that's the case with even the less serious uh, discipline recommendations that we send to the department. The ruling, the, the decision by the Justice Department not to pursue civil rights charges against Officer Pantaleo has no bearing on the police proceeding. Uh, and we expect by the end of August, um, at least as we've been hearing, uh, for the police commissioner to make his final decision. The uh, trial judge, departmental trial judge, uh, or she's technically the deputy Commissioner for Trials, Rosemary Maldonado, uh, will uh, will reach her conclusion. Uh, as I understand it, she will share that report with both uh, the prosecution, that's the Civilian Complaint Review Board, and our prosecutors, and with uh, and with the uh, defense. Uh, both will have chances, opportunities to respond to her report, and then it will be transmitted to. Commissioner. Um, so that's the process, um, and we we await uh, the outcome. We are, in a sense, the CCRB is the final um, opportunity for there to be some type of justice mm -hmm. uh, in this in this very very tragic case. We have recommended uh, in our prosecution of this case uh, that uh, Officer Pantaleo be fired by the police commissioner. And we will stand, we stand by that recommendation and, uh, and hope the police commissioner will indeed terminate him from the New York City Police So in fact, if that doesn't happen, before we return to the uh, decision by the DOJ yesterday, if that doesn't happen uh, and the police commissioner decides not to fire him or perhaps that he's not found guilty, in essence, of the very uh, charges for which uh, the CCRB uh, has brought forward. Uh, is there any recourse with the CCRB? Well, I think once the commissioner makes his decision, that decision is final. Mm -hmm. um, even if the trial judge were to recommend uh, or it, or um, or have a ruling that the that Officer Pantaleo um, not be fired. The commissioner has the final authority to accept, uh, reject, or modify 
any recommendation, uh, and uh, he still will have the authority to fire Officer Pantaleo uh, and to remove him from the NYPD. Um, if he chooses not to do that, uh, then uh, the recourse on our part is limited. But the, you know, but we hope and we are confident that the police commission is going to do the right thing in this case and uh, and accept uh, the recommendation of the prosecuting attorneys of the CCRB, and we are confident that the administrative trial judge or the deputy commissioner for trials, as she's technically known, uh, Rosemary Maldonado, will uh, will uh, agree with the strength of the CCRB's case that a preponderance of the evidence, as I stand it, a preponderance of the evidence uh, confirms that Officer Plantaleo violated the patrol guard, used excessive force that led to the death of, of Eric So in the best of all worlds, as you stated at the beginning, the decision by the DOJ and the Attorney General basically should have no impact uh, on the decision of the police commissioner or the trial judge. That's correct. Uh, to, that's in the best of all worlds. Mm -hmm. So in the world in which we live, right. uh, what do you think that impact could be? I'm going to have confidence at this point in these two individuals to look at the evidence as we've presented it, as the CCRB and its prosecuting attorneys have presented it, and to really um, be objective and say that evidence leads us to this conclusion that this officer has to be terminated. Uh, I'm going to have confidence that they are not going to allow the DOJ's decision, which uh, could easily be, that any reasonable person could conclude uh, was influenced by politics as much as substance. Uh, I'm going to have confidence that the uh, Deputy Commissioner for Trials and the Police Commissioner are not going to let DOJ's decision influence um, uh, the conclusion that they should reach in this case. So let me let us turn to the DOJ decision. It comes out probably not uh, by accident on the very eve of the fifth anniversary of Eric Garner's death. What was your response? Well, that's that? the travesty and the injustice of all of this. They did not have to wait five years. Um, I don't think, as much as I've uh, been engaged with the uh, Obama White House and over the years, I don't think they had to wait that long. And this current administration definitely did not have to wait this long to make a decision about what they were going to do with this case. It just it just reeks of a travesty. It just reeks of a system that has broken down. Now, to the mayor's credit, he has said that the city of New York won't do this again, with some exceptions. Uh, the family could uh, make it, could ask for an exception, uh, or a, a judge could order an exception. But outside of that, going forward, the CCURB or the police department will proceed with these departmental uh, reviews and trials, if necessary, and not wait on the Justice Department anymore. Um, you know, the case can be made up until recently. Um, 
the Justice Department could be counted on uh, to uh, act um, expeditiously and fairly objectively when it comes to these very serious civil rights cases. Uh, what this administration has shown and proven is that that is not the case anymore. Uh, so this uh, alternative approach that the mayor has, uh, this new policy that the mayor has established um, is really important in, in this case. So it's a travesty. It's a miscarriage of justice to have waited this long. Um, it's uh, heartbreaking for the Garner family, uh, but I'm confident that um, the CCRB, as the last opportunity for injustice, for justice in this case, has presented a very sound uh, case before the judge, and that the judge will rule in the right way, and the police commissioner will make the right decision. Yeah, I'm struck uh, by the fact that, as you say, one, that they didn't have to wait this long, and that it is more a decision, a political decision, than it is a decision based on substance. I think that we can all agree that there has been a significant cultural shift uh, in our country, uh, a cultural shift that is defined, if you will, by, uh, by race. Mm -hmm. And uh, the racialization of uh, the politic uh, at large. So with that said, what is the message you think that we are to receive as not simply people who are uh, part of New York City's jurisdiction, but as a nation uh, in regard to this decision that would come down last night? Well, the, the president and the attorney general by their very words and actions, leave themselves open to a justified accusation that they have a bias for a certain type of aggressive policing and that they have a bias against people of color and an express uh, uh, unequivocating bias against uh, people who are immigrants or who they perceive as coming from other places. So the message that I think that they send is um, we are going to walk lightly when it comes to aggressive policing against people of color. And um, that's not what this country needs at this point. That's not where this city is. This city has made an effort to address things such as stop and frisk, uh, which is not the policy of the police department anymore and the way it was under previous administrations. It has made an effort to train officers uh, in, in, in uh, implicit uh, bias and help officers understand what implicit bias is. It has made an effort to train officers to de-escalate. It has strengthened the largest uh, civilian oversight agency in the country when it comes to policing. That should be the model of this administration. Is, it should pursue, this federal administration should pursue. Instead, they engage in rank, uh, unjustified, uh, clearly racist uh, approaches uh, to these questions. They encourage this kind of aggressive policing of people of color that can lead to all kinds of brutality. It takes us back to um, the dark ages of policing and does not represent the kind of progressive approach to police community relationships that we are attempting in the city and that this uh, civilian complaint review board is uh, making every effort to promote. 
So um, uh, the president and the attorney general, I think, actually should simply be ashamed of what they're doing. And if they had any sense of real commitment to building community and what fundamental morality means in these situations, they would cease and desist immediately. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, students of EDS, as well as union, uh, joined with members of uh, local congregation, the Episcopal Church Congregation of Heavenly Rest, uh, and went down and did the civil rights pilgrimage and went to the EJI, Equal Justice uh, Initiatives Museum, mm -hmm and the lynch uh, memorials, lynching memorials. And, you know, reminds me of the message of lynching, right? Uh, it was, to borrow words of uh, novelist Toni Morrison, a message writ large for the African-American community that your lives are of little value and your lives will receive no protection. Uh, and of course, lynching was extrajudicial in a sense, but uh, people were able to take black lives with impunity. And that was the message of lynching. Sounds like we're getting a similar message today uh, from this administration and certainly the type of decision that we saw handed down by uh, the Attorney General, for all intents and purposes, yesterday, get that people can get away with, even police officers, can get away with the taking of black lives with impunity. And that certainly is the sense and um, represents uh, the reality of what we've seen um, over, the, over the years. Um, and Again, this president's very words uh, and this attorney general's very actions uh, don't do anything to diffuse that. And in fact, any reasonable person could conclude that their, that their words and their actions only reinforce this notion that there's a hierarchy of value placed on lives in this nation based on uh, what you look like and where you come from. And so... Let's end this conversation by me asking you this. Clearly, people of color's lives are devalued uh, in this nation at this time uh, and are at risk. What should be the church's response to that? Well, I think there, you know, that there can be there should be multiple responses to the church. I mean, by the church, I mean first in the first order, uh, the church has an has an obligation, as the prophets did of old, to stand up with some boldness and courage, and and in the face of uh, power, say, "Thus saith the Lord." You are uh, engaging in behavior that violates uh, the very divinity of the, the, the created human beings that, 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 um, you know, that God has placed upon this earth. Um, and say that to people like the president, like the attorney general, with some courage and boldness and not with timidity. And instead, what we have are um, a group of people of faith who have decided that the president um, is the person that they're going to worship, 
as opposed to the faith traditions and the actual God himself that, that these leaders have claimed uh, that they worship. Uh, they have sacrificed uh, the very fundamentals of their faith uh, sort of on the altar of giving homage to this guy in the White House, which I completely don't understand. The church also has an obligation to um, promote justice wherever justice is, is required. Um, and in the case of uh, police community relations, we really need the church to step up, both in challenging uh, police departments to be, the, to be um, community institutions and not um, and and not these uh, and not these um, rather these uh, organizations that seek to oppress people um, and to uh, and to help promote on the community side more and better engagement with 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 officers. Um, you know the church has done a really community-based organizations and churches in New York City have been partners in reducing crime. I mean, literally, the, the crime levels in, in this city, which can still afford to go down in some community, are just extraordinarily low. And very often you hear that credit given to the police department. And the police department does deserve credit for helping to bring down crime. But community-based organizations and faith institutions played a huge role in that, too, um, by focusing on the needs of young people who uh, if they aren't giving constructive activities, will engage in certain kinds of crimes. By ensuring uh, that, uh, that uh, neighborhood uh, organizations address issues for potential criminal activity in their communities. When David Dinkins, um, in 1992, I think it was, um, developed a plan to um, address the the high rate of crime in New York City at the time. His plan, uh, which was funded and helped put lots of cops on the street, was called Cops and Kids. And money was, uh, money was provided, resources were provided, not only just for police officers, but for programs to create opportunities for young people to, so to reduce the uh, potentiality of their engaging this should be the church. The church should be pushing for more of this, for investment in communities, so that these, uh, so that people don't have to resort to criminal activity just to even make a living, but certainly um, as don't resort to it uh, simply out of idleness because there are no constructive activities for them. Yeah, and Fred, I do want to follow up with mm -hmm. uh, that with one more thing. Yes, and we know, first of all, when we talk about persons quote-unquote, resorting to criminal activities, that people are forced to live in environments that are in and of themselves violent. Poverty is violent, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and poverty breeds violence. And so, first of all, this sort of criminal activity is in so many ways a natural outcome of the conditions in which people, by no uh, fault of their own, are forced to live in. With that said, and of course faith communities have a responsibility to talk about that and to do something about that. With that said, how, how do we, here's what we do know. That there is a historical gap 
and distrust between police departments and particularly the African community. Well learned okay. <laughs> on the side mm -hmm. of, 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 of uh, police departments. Also historically, uh, when we understand the history of policing, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when it comes to the African American community, uh, just there's, there's an historical distrust that is sort of embedded in the fabric of the relationship. So even with the kind of, and I commend the kind of programming that is happening uh, with the New York uh, Police Department and the community relationships and cops and kids and all that, that still doesn't overcome the essential problem. And so we know what we can do on the other side of that to at least make sure that people of color, children of color, aren't vulnerable. Well, what, what about on the other side of this? Is, is there any kind of conversation? What are the conversations that go on uh, within uh, policing and within the police department uh, within New York Police Department that helps them to understand that this isn't something that was created overnight, mm -hmm. then that uh, can go away overnight, and it is also something for which they have responsibility and systemic responsibility. Mm -hmm. And you're in the middle, you're in the, you're in the intersection of that, Fred, so... So, so um, a couple of things. Uh, police Commissioner, former Police Commissioner Bratton, uh, s several years ago, before he retired as the commis police commissioner of the city of New York, um, actually apologized for the ways in which uh, the poli police generally uh, and police departments generally uh, were and, and have been um, the, uh, the enforcers of certain racist policies in America. I mean, they, police departments were at the forefront of uh, ensuring a certain level of oppression of black people. I mean, they led the way. You just look at the, at the, at the films from just the 60s of civil rights uh, protests. Uh, but if you think about the history of this country um, uh, and who enforced the oppression of black people, police were, police departments and police officers were at the forefront of that. Commissioner Bratton apologized for that, admitted it and apologized for it. More recently, Commissioner O'Neill apologized to the LGBTQ community for uh, their participation in the oppression of gay people. And Stonewall was a real example of that. So these are enlightened uh, for the most part uh, leaders of police departments. Um, and it's a message that departments around the country sh should hear. And we should not be shy, as they have not been shy, about admitting the history, and some people would argue the current practice, but certainly the historical practice of police officers and of, of police departments in engaging in the enforcement of activities that oppress certain groups of people, including black folks. Um, but in addition to that, police departments have to look more like the people that they're policing. So uh, in New York City, that's happening more and more. 
Um, and I really believe that that contributes also to um, this, uh, uh, this uh, increased ability for communities and police department and the New York City Police Department to work together uh, to reduce crime. Now we have a long way to go uh, because the, the police officers have a badge and a gun and regardless of their color there is a serious power differential between them and the people they encounter. But I think the first step is what Bratton and O'Neill have done, and that is for these leaders of policing in the nation to confess their sins. They have used these departments to oppress people, period, on the basis of race. And so to recognize that this trust is not unwarranted, and then having done that, set about to put into place policies and practices that will continue to increase the trustworthiness of the police and increase trust and good relationships between communities and police departments. Thank you. Well, one thing we know for sure, we have a long way to go. And as we sit here on the fifth anniversary of Eric Garner's death, and we remember his life, and we hope we continue to honor the sacredness of his life and the lives of others whose lives were taken too violently and too soon because of the kind of unfair and biased treatment by police and others of African Americans and other people of color. And so it is important that we have this conversation mm -hmm. on this day and continue to have these conversations and that these conversations lead us forward into the kind of constructive action that will indeed prevent us from sitting here five years mm -hmm. from now having a similar conversation. Well, let this be a watershed moment let uh, Commissioner O'Neill hear anew that his decision on the Garner case will set the tone for pol police community relations in this city and nation for perhaps decades to come. And let him know and hear that the faith community, at least this faith community here at EDS and at Union, are waiting and listening to see. Thank you. Thanks, Fred. Mm -hmm.